Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of the Growing With Fishes podcast. Uh, this week we have the amazing Dr. Elaine Ingram joining us, uh, one of the top experts on uh, soil f- um, microbes and uh, everything related to uh, how soil interacts with uh, plants. We're super, super excited. We've been uh, trying to have her on for a long time and uh, couldn't be happier. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, Dr. Ingram. I'm glad to be here. This, this should be fun. <laughs> uh, we also have uh, Marty. He's joining us again uh, after uh, two weeks off. Thanks a lot for coming back, Marty. I guess he's uh, AFK. Uh, We have uh, Leighton from Kingdom Aquaponics with us. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good to be back. Yeah. Been in a couple episodes. (laughs) Yes, it has. And we got um, Fish Ganj Guy. Pleasure to be here. We got ECSD. And um, we have uh, Josh Rutherford from uh, Dutch Dutch Blooms. Hey guys, glad to be back. Thanks for letting us all be on. It's fun to have these combos. Combo, combo, combo. <laughs> this uh, this weekend, um, the, uh, we'll all be up at the uh, Science of Regenerative Organic Cannabis Conference in Redway, California. If you're interested, go definitely go check it out. Um, uh, Dr. Ingham has just finished teaching a, a two-day course on uh, mycology that, or not mycology, microscope microscopy. I'm sorry, and uh, um, yeah, she's just here to talk to us all about soil science. So thanks a lot uh, for joining us, and um, uh, please tell people a little bit about uh, what you do and uh, about the Soil Food Web. Um, I uh, have a research farm that was bought for us by a funder who um, wanted to see the scientific uh, replicated trials uh, be done. Uh, We've worked a a lot with individual growers, but of course, uh, a grower's focus is on... Sorry about that. (laughs) Focuses on um, trying to make money, really, uh, being successful, keeping the farm together. So as soon as they started seeing how... Uh, much easier it was, how much less expensive it is to use biology in the soil instead of toxic chemicals, pesticides, inorganic fertilizers, and all those things. Um, Pretty soon the experiment is gone and the whole farm has been turned over to the biological approach. So we could just never manage to get those replicated scientific trials for the year after year after year after year that we have to have Uh, for publication in the agricultural literature. So on the farm that's just outside of um, Oroville uh, in California, uh, we have started setting up trials. So we always have the control and the treatment. We're looking at without biology, with biology, and now we've added a comparison with the um, conventional toxic chemical approach. So we can be comparing um, our results Um, In the first year where we started putting the biology in on the surface of the soil, we increased yields with biology as compared to no added biology, same amount of nutrients added into the soil. But with the biology, we increased yields by 50%. In the second year, we increased yields um, in that same um, comparison by 300% where we have added um, the biology deeper into the soil from the very beginning, breaking through the compaction layers, getting um, good structure. So water and um, air and the biology and the root systems of the plants would go down deep. We increased yields by a thousand percent. 
So we want to keep showing that these kinds of yield increases uh, um, um, will happen year after year after year. Uh, we clear cut a three acre area uh, last summer, late last summer. And so we're going to be expanding the kinds of experiments that we're doing. Um, so we're always coming up with new experiments. We have more things we want to work on than we have space to do it. So um, it's uh, keeping us busy, um, keeping us in trouble, all those good things. So I still um, talk uh, with people around the world. Um, so I'm invited to come and give talks about the things that we've been doing, the success stories. You can go to our website, um, soilfoodweb.com, or for the experimental farm, it's environmental, it's environmentcelebration.com. And we put um, updates of what we're doing, updates of the um, soil life consultants that we're training and certifying. They have to go through a pretty good training course. So they prove that they know what they're doing uh, and uh, can successfully use the soil food web to get people off pesticides and inorganic fertilizers. So yeah, uh, doing lots of things. Very cool. I understand that you were one of the first people to figure out a universal way to assess soil microbes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yep. So the work with the microscope is uh, what we, we need to learn um, so that you can very rapidly and very easily um, determine what biology is present in your soil. When we go into conventional agricultural fields, the only microorganism that's typically left is the um, lots of anaerobic bacteria, uh, maybe a few of the bad guy fungi, um, things that are not really going to help your plant grow, which is why you have to keep using inorganic fertilizers and pesticides and toxic chemicals to try uh, to knock away all of the bad guy organisms that want to attack and eat your plant. Um, so, um, you know, we've been... <clears throat> Uh, working with the microscope and so we just finished that um, two-day course uh, where we were training people to use the microscope. Uh, you take a sample of your soil so we went through how to so sample soil, um, bring it into the microscope, um, make the dilutions and in about five minutes you've got your sample ready to look at and then we teach people um, what the appearance of the beneficial bacteria, the not so good bacteria, the beneficial fungi, actinobacteria, the bad guy fungi, the beneficial protozoa, the good and bad nematodes. Uh, so you very easily can see, do you have the set of biology required for the plant you're trying to grow? So yeah, I was the first person that really put together how we would be able to do all of these different kinds of organisms all with the same sample and not to have not have team to take weeks and weeks to get the information back to people. That's amazing. Um, actually, it's a question I'd love to learn a little bit more about. How do you tell a, a good from bad nematodes? Because there's uh, almost always a, you know, quite a few whenever you take any kind of sample. Um, you have to look at their mouth parts. You've got to look at the esophagus. It, it doesn't really take that long. I think pretty much everybody at the course in the last two days has the basics of what they need to be looking at. They need to practice now. They get to, need to get the confidence that they really can tell the difference and they're going to be right every time. So it doesn't take long to learn these skills. And 
I think it's really important to be able to measure what you're trying to manage. How can you manage anything if you have nothing to measure it with? So we pretty quickly can t um, train people how to use the microscope and look at the good versus the bad and know exactly what you need to be adding. Um, you can look at your compost and determine whether you have the organisms in the compost that you're making that will put these beneficial organisms back into the soil. Compost is all about life. It's not about how much organic matter. It's not whether you know you put manure in there or whatever. All of those materials are going to be converted into foods for microorganisms. And so do you have the life in your compost that you need to put back into your soil? If you can't put a solid in, you can put a liquid in. And we teach people how to make the liquid forms of compost and apply them. Awesome. Um, that's uh, so neat. I, uh, uh, there's so many different things that, uh, in that regard. And it's one of the biggest things out there. Uh, personally, I've only had uh, microborganics.com to use as any kind of reference. So uh, it, it's good to hear that, you know, you have these great classes now that are much more in depth than, than the little bit that's out there online and all in one condensed place. Um, are you teaching another one again soon at all um, or have plans to? Um, I We have online courses so that if people want to sign up for the online courses, we give you a password that's good for an entire year. Because you know, we know that people get busy. We know you're going to have to, especially with planting season coming up, uh, you can get real busy for a couple months. And you know, so then you go back to the online course, so you um, can watch it. You know, like a lot of people will do uh, a 45-minute lecture each day. Um, and you know, pretty quickly you're going to get through those that course. Um, we have quizzes that you get to take to kind of test to see whether um, you picked up all the ideas, all the concepts, or not. Um, we then will take people who have passed those courses and um, train them. Uh, how do you make compost? So some practical hands-on. Um, making compost, making compost extracts, making compost teas, and then uh, do a project where you actually have to document that you're starting with dirt with no decent biology and you're adding those organisms so that you're reaching the balances for the plant you want to grow. And we get rid of the pesticides, you know, fertilizers, we reduce water use, you exit weeds, you don't have to deal with them anymore. So all these benefits that we can give people. Awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit more on, on compost teas? Um, that's definitely a, a topic. There's a lot of mixed information out on that. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what makes a good compost tea versus a bad compost tea and just maybe some of the myths out there as far as... Uh, you know, there's there's so many there's so much bad information, almost as much as good information on compost. <laughs> yeah, um, you first of all have to good have good compost because we're going to be extracting those organisms from the compost into the liquid, and so you better have the organisms in the compost. You know, I always get amazed by people who grab manure and extract the organisms out of the manure and into the water. And it's just like, oh, do you realize what you're extracting from manure? Those are human pathogens. Those are plant pathogens. Those are horrible things that you don't want to have anywhere near your plants. So you've got to start with a good material. You've got to learn how to make good compost. So then we're going to be extracting using water. We're going to add specific foods to encourage, stimulate the growth of those organisms that you're lacking in the soil. Now, if you've got a billion bacteria in your soil, 
or billion bacteria in your soil, why go in and grow lots more bacteria? It's not really going to help you a whole lot. Um, so if what you're missing are the fungi, and almost everyone is who's been growing in a conventional fashion. Now, even organic growers where they still have a lot of weed problem, what you're missing is the fungal component. So you've got to put the foods into that compost tea to encourage the growth of those fungi. Well, bacteria and fungi in the soil grow on the exudates coming out of the root systems of plants. Those um, exudates from the plant tell the bacteria and fungi what enzymes to make to go out into the soil and pull the nutrients from the sand, from the silt, the clays, the rocks, the pebbles, and of course organic matter as well if you have them. But when we start to understand that the bacteria and fungi pull these nutrients from all of this mineral material, and it can't be soil if you don't have those mineral materials in the soil, there is no soil on this planet that lacks the nutrients to grow plants. So why are we putting out fertilizers of any kind? Your soils contain thousands of years worth of the nutrients that your plants require. Hmm, they're not in a plant available form. So we have to have this biology in the soil in order to convert what's not plant available, but which is there in huge quantities, convert it into a form that your plant requires. So the, that your plant can take up, sorry. So the bacteria and fungi are pulling those nutrients into their bodies and they're right around the root system and they are basically storing those nutrients that the plant wants. And so the protozoa, the nematodes, the microarthropods, the earthworms come into that root system because there's lots and lots of fungi and lots and lots of bacteria. And those predators eat the bacteria and fungi and because the nutrient concentration that the predators require is so much less than the nutrient content in the bacteria and fungi, they're going to get rid of those excess nutrients. And of course, they're going to release them in a plant available form. So if you ever want to get away from having to use fertilizers of any kind, you need to get this biology back into your soil. Um, we want to make certain that we're putting out those microorganisms that are beneficial so that weeds will not be able to grow. We select against weeds and we select for the plants that you want. Um, we're going to make certain that we are protecting our root systems and the plant material above ground with um, the biology that is going to be protective and um, gets uh, makes certain that there's no space there's no food there's no room for the disease causing organisms for the pests for the problem organisms so um, when we're, we're working with the compost tea we want to make certain that we're getting these organisms up to these high concentrations so when we spray on the foliage we are covering that leaf surface, those leaf surfaces, top and bottom. We're covering the branches, we're co covering the bark, we're covering the fruit, the flowers, whatever, so that you have these highly beneficial organisms that are going to make certain that you don't have diseases and pests above ground. We can be putting compost extracts where what we're trying to do with the extract is just extract the organisms out of the soil. We're not adding foods into that um, extract. We're just extracting the organisms, 
we're going to extract a bit more compost so that we're getting the organisms up to the really high levels that we need and then we'll be applying the extracts into the soil so if you can't cheaply or easily apply the solid you can apply the liquid forms in the soil or on the foliage and protect your plant give your plants um, improved nutrient cycling, get the root systems of your plants growing as deep as possible, getting really good water infiltration into the soil. So in places, for example, like Australia, we have done studies where we've shown that if we build better structure in the soil, get rid of the compaction layers, we can reduce water use by those plants by as much as 50 to 70% in the first growing season as we're putting this biology into the soil. That, that's amazing. Yep. And of course, in some place like California, that's hugely important. We've, we have to reduce our consumption of water. We have to not have all the toxic chemicals and the pesticides leaching and washing into our um, groundwaters and into our surface waters. Yeah. You know, I always have to kind of laugh when Monsanto says, uh, we have to have these genetically engineered organisms in order to feed the world. In 2025, we're going to run out of food to feed people. Well, guys, uh, that's absolutely not the case. What's going to wipe people out? long before 2025 when we're going to uh, apparently run out of food to feed the planet is water. There's no clean water. Right now, most people are suffering from a lack of clean water to drink. What's going to kill you? It's the toxics in the water, not the lack of food that may or may not actually be true that we're going to run out of food to feed everybody by that time. We've got more than enough food to feed everybody. We just have a really bad time getting it, getting that food to the people who are starving to death. Is there certain compost teas or, or anything to help breed those, those predators of fungi and, and bacteria? Um, yes, yeah, so you have to have high concentrations of bacteria so that the bacterial predators have lots to eat. We've got to have high levels of fungi so the fungal predators have lots to eat. So it goes to that base of the food web We've got to grow lots of these um, first trophic level things. So we can have lots of the second trophic level things. We can release nutrients at the rate that the plant requires. And actually it's your plant that determines how fast this is going to be happening in the soil. If your plant is healthy, it's got all the nutrients that it requires. The plant can be making the photosynthate in order to supply all of those exudates to release into the soil and get the bacteria and fungi to do the job that the plant wants to have done. So, you know, we as human beings don't know what the plant requires. The plant knows what it needs. So rely on that communication between the plant telling the bacteria and fungi what to do. And the bacteria and fungi are only too happy to go do that because they're getting fed. So they do the work the plant requires. You and I don't have to know that what your plant needs right now is a couple micrograms of boron. But as soon as your plant gets that boron, now it's going to need something else. Something else is limiting. So now it needs more cal calcium. When the plant gets the calcium it needs, now it's going to need more nitrogen. And then it needs more phosphorus. And then it needs, you know, on and on and on. Every second of every day, your plant is got to be given the nutrients that it requires so it can stay healthy. 
And of course, if your plant is staying healthy, then pesticides, um, inorganic fertilizers, toxic chemicals are not needed to get rid of the pests or the diseases. Um, if we're making certain that we have ammonium in our soil instead of just strictly nitrate, we select against the weeds and we select for the understory plants that we need to have in those systems. Uh, uh, so with that being said, would you say that Mulder's chart is still an accurate way to help diagnose deficiencies or balance things? Or, or do you think that that's kind of the wrong way to think about things? Well, you know, when you're looking at your plant, you can discern when there's, a, you know, a really critical shortage of something. So in the leaves, the color of the, you know, that can tell you that your plant is just about ready to die. But we want to maintain that nutrient um, uptake by the plant and make sure it's properly balanced long before there's any deficiency that shows up where you and I can see it in the plant as a, you know, yellowing veins or um, drying tips of the leaf or purpling of the, you know, that your plant is sick unto death when you start seeing those signs. So long before that, we want to be solving any nutrient deficiencies. So our job just needs to be put all the different species of bacteria and fungi you possibly can into that soil and the plant will feed what it needs. We need to have the microscope. So we take soil samples and we make certain that the bacteria and fungi, protozoa, nematodes are all in the proper balances, which means the plant will be getting the nutrients that it requires. There's our testing um, uh, ability. We need to be pulling soils and taking a look at whether we have that biology in the soil. We need to take leaves off the surface of the plant and use the microscope to determine whether we've got the coverage on that leaf surface by these beneficial organisms so there is no way that diseases and pests can bridge that castle wall protecting those leaves, the stems, the fruit, the buds, the flowers. Very, very cool. Um, have you worked at all with uh, any of like the Korean natural farming stuff, any of the fermentation or experimented with any of that? And can you talk on that a little bit? It's, that's definitely an area that I've been doing a ton of research and work with and trying to uh, separate different microbes from that, especially with kombuchas and a couple of others. And I'd love to hear about any of your work with that and, and kind of your research around that. Yeah. Um, what we see is that it's okay to have kind of these um, the best terminology is uh, facultative anaerobes. They have the ability to live in aerobic environments and in anaerobic environments. So if you've got really bad compaction in your soil, you've got places where you've got to break up that compaction and you've got to have things that will um, be able to grow in those reduced oxygen conditions. Um, then it's really useful to put in some of these um, lactobacillus and some, uh, uh, perhaps some of the uh, bacillus species, pseudomonads, that are capable of growing both in anaerobic conditions as well as aerobic. But the job of those fermentation organisms really is to start to build the structure. Uh, but as soon as you get really good oxygen moving into that soil, those organisms are no longer capable of outcompeting 
the um, aerobic organisms. So now we want to be adding those aerobic organisms so we maintain that nutrient cycling that's needed by our, by our plants. So the Korean national natural farming is really, in my mind, it's a first step of moving into healthier soil. Um, I then want to make certain that we're getting that whole food web that's going to operate uh, where we have no reduced oxygen conditions in that soil so our roots can grow as deep as they possibly can. Um, nutrient cycling will be happening all the time. We won't have weeds. We won't have diseases or pests. Um, uh, I know um, it's certain uh, there's a little, some research out about uh, as far as um, uh, certain lactobacillus increasing uh, CBG and certain other precursors. I know you've done a lot of work with with researching THC and CBD, um, you know, as far as which microbes and stuff like that, and that's some of the, the cooler work. Um, do you want to talk about that to the extent that you're you're wanting to? That's uh, one of the cooler things that I've been doing. And I, we've done some research ourselves with aquaponics and noticed that um, when we run the split root zone, the half in, in soil and the half in the, the flood and drain aquatic, um, we're noticing almost 100% of the time an increase in CBD uh, across the board, and uh, as well as THCV in particular, uh, and we're you know I, I, we're still studying it, but we're attributing it to something to do with the microbes uh, in the soil layer because that's the only thing we can attribute to as far as you know input-wise. Um, uh, so I'd love to hear your work on that. Uh, yeah, what we're seeing is that if we have a very bacterial dominated soil, we tend to get uh, a whole lot more of the THC. Um, as we start to shift and we get more fungal biomass in that soil, we start to shift towards more of the cannabinoids. So, um, you know, so the CBDs that we want. Um, as we deal with different cultivars of um, cannabis, there's different responses in each of those species about where that shift from uh, bacterial dominated to fungal dominated and what kinds of um, chemical responses we're getting in the plants. So we're seeing that it's um, very much that um, shift from bacterial dominated to fungal dominated. And of, of course, as you're shifting from bacterial dominated, the bacterial predators are way more important as you shift towards fungal dominated then the fungal dominated predators get a lot more important so you know and I, I need we need to continue looking at what is the biology exactly in these different conditions where we've got roots split between the soil and the aquaponics where you put in a, a lactobacillus species what's really going on what's the lactobacillus doing what are the fungi doing and exactly how are they interacting with each other? And the only way we can really try to understand this is to use our microscopes and see if these, you know, when you add the lactobacillus, how long do they survive? What are they actually doing? Are they attracting more of the fungal predators or more of the bacterial predators into that root system? There's so many questions on what the mechanism is. And if we want to have different kinds of CBDs, we want more of you know it, this one or that one, how do we manage and can we use the biology to do that increase in specific kinds of compounds in the buds. 
Uh, have you done any work with as far as using specific bacterial cultures or even composted cultures or isolated cultures uh, and, and then using that to isolate certain plant enzymes or proteins? Um, that's some of the other interesting work I've seen from not only the stuff that we've done, but a couple of other people and something that I've been dying to ask you. Uh -huh. We haven't really had the opportunity to do that. We don't have the funding um, to go after those kinds of questions. So I would love to hook up with people who can do that kind of testing where they've got the facilities to assess um, you know exactly what is being improved in the leaf material and the excuse me in the buds um, so yeah let's hook up and work together I you know I'm not somebody who wants to say well I'm the only person knows how to do this and you're gonna have you know you know there's lots of people out there we've been training to do the microscope work and let's all work together on getting this figured out as rapidly as possible so what types of uh inputs can uh, people use that will uh uh let's what's the word i'm looking for encourage a more bacterial dominated soil versus a fungally dominated soil so you want to be putting in fungal foods or bacterial foods. So bacteria like very simple sugars. Their enzymes are designed to go after very simple uh, compounds. They're not highly branched, um, not a lot of um, uh, very structurally complex uh, kinds of um, structures within that material so bacteria are very good at the simple stuff fungi are good at the more complex uh, when you start to look at um, carbon to nitrogen ratios in plant material uh, the bacteria are going to use the very narrow carbon and nitrogen ratio materials fungi are going to do way better on the um, wider carbon to nitrogen ratio materials so bacteria do really well at um, decomposing the um, carbon nitrogen ratio materials that are at 10 to 1 um, 20 to 1 30 to 1 maybe up to 60 to 1 but we start getting into, in, into that 50 to 1 ratio carbon and nitrogen ratio um, now a lot of the fungi are going to win we get into 100 to 1 or 150 to 1 carbon nitrogen ratio material the fungi are the rulers there so uh, as we try to shift things into a more fungal dominated soil we want to make certain that the foods we're putting in there will select for the fungi and of course the exudates put out plant by plants are gonna they use exactly the same approach if these are perennial plants they're putting out way more complex um, exudates into their root systems they make woody um, plant material and that, of course, drives the fungal biomass. You deal with early annuals. Um, the exudates are very simple. They're selecting for the bacteria. So this whole move towards, um, you, you know, understand the biology. What do you want? That's what we're going to use is the foods in the compost, the foods in the compost tea. Do you have any um, recommendations on... Um companion plants or plants that would help yeah absolutely we we really you know mother nature abhors bare soil we never want to have bare soil in any of our ecosystems because if that's bare soil mother nature is going to put a plant in it and of course she's going to choose to put the um, plants that are 
that, that like that highly disturbed bare soil situation. So to make our lives easier for us, we should be planting the specific species of plants, short, low growing plants. So there are not any interfering in any way with, um, the, with a, the plant of our choice. What's the crop you want to grow? Let's make sure that these things don't interfere with that. So short, low growing, perennial. And I think it's absolutely amazing in agricultural systems when people start put, putting in annual uh, crop, um, cover crops because you're going to have to try to whack them down, you know, turn them in, disturb the soil, um, cause your cause problems with respect to oxygen getting into that soil when you have massive quantities of residue that you're putting down on the soil surface. Um, and then you're going to have to buy seed again in a year to go back through all of this craziness. So let's put short, low-growing understory plants that have exactly the same mycorrhizal fungi that our crop plant, that our cannabis has. So let's match up these requirements below ground. So when we're looking at um, plants, understory plants that really help um, plants that like things a little bit more on the fungal dominated side, we wanna be putting in um, woodier types of understory plants like say uh, creeping thyme or creeping lavenders, uh, some of the isotomas. Um, where we're dealing with a little bit more on the bacterial side, let's be putting in things like dichondra or some of the short, low-growing clovers or you know a number of different plants. Uh, we have a number of these different plants, uh, understory plants, cover plants if you want, um, listed on our website and we are testing those different species uh, at the experimental farm um, just outside of Oroville, California. So would that be like along with the uh you know uh, bacteria to fungi ratio exactly maybe planting accordingly on those cut those cover crops or like would it do we shoot for a mix 50 58 or 60 you know 40 70 you know like how do we plant that out in uh in a you know like a no-till bed you know like where i have an eight foot wide by 90 foot wide bed and i want to in you know if this is where we, we've got to do some of the research first. Um, grow the plants by themselves or you know, by themselves with your desired crop plant. We find out um, whether it's really a good match or not. Are they really sharing mycorrhizal fungi? Are they um, you know, supporting each other's uh, growth? So true companion plants. And, you know, I, I always had to giggle when, with um, uh, the permaculture guys. They will say, in Australia, these two plants are companion plants. Well, great, that's in Australia. They're not companion plants here in the United States. So quit beating your head into a wall trying to force them to grow to better, better, together better. So we need to be understanding what the requirements of the cover plants and the requirements of our crop plants actually are. Um, and I want to see a cover plant promote the balance of fungi to bacteria, the protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods, earthworms that our crop plant requires. So there's a bit of research, you know, we've just been starting on this for uh, the last four years and um, 
we've we've got a ways to go. So the more people who contribute and be, and do some of this testing, the faster we're going to be able to get this information out to everybody on how to prevent weeds, how to promote the growth of your crop plant, uh, and make it even easier for us to plant everything in the in the springtime and then walk away and we come back and harvest. That's how farming should be done. That's how plant production should be done. That's that's so wonderful and such a such a simplified uh, explanation of all that. It's often people get a uh, it's hard to hard to hard to grasp sometimes. Do you want to talk about some of the the work you're working on now at the research facility and some of the the neat things you're working on right now? Um, yeah, we're doing quite a bit with um, having. Well, the the reason we bought the farm up um, just outside of. Um, Oroville, it's actually up by Berry Creek. Um, the reason we bought that farm is the people who had um, farmed there before us were absolutely <laughs> toxic chemical fanatics. Uh, they had applied so much Roundup and so much herbicide fertilizers and things to that soil that in uh, quite a bit of the area that there was their garden um, where they were growing food um, couldn't grow anything anymore not even weeds would grow in the um, certain areas and on the on the land and that was perfect for us because then we didn't have to go in and try to kill off all of the biology in the soil we didn't have to do anything to make it horrible dirt so that became our control areas where um, we would take that field that had you know been completely denuded and you couldn't even get weeds to grow um, and then we started with uh, leaving half of it in um, you know the same condition we didn't uh, put anything in except some mulch to put in the same amount of nutrients but not the same not the biology and then the other half of the field, we put in compost. Um, the first experiments that we really put in were to um, only put the compost in on the surface of the soil. And then, of course, when we added the um, added the liquid forms of compost, the compost extracts or the compost teas, the compost extracts went on the soil surface. The compost um, teas went on the foliage to protect the foliage. So um, in doing that comparison in the first year, uh, we documented where the compaction layers were in the soil. Um, and we had a compaction layer right up at the surface of the soil, compaction layer at about uh, 46 inches, another compaction layer uh, just below that at like eight to 10 inches, another compaction layer just below that. You know, it was just kind of a story of Oh my gosh, how could any roots ever get through the surface of the soil uh, and grow as deep as the roots of these plants can grow? Uh, so um, the compost put in on the top, the compost extracts going in on the surface of the soil in that first year only formed structure in that soil down to about an inch, maybe an inch and a half. And so you know, not a lot of ability to start to rebuild structure in the soil and do the job that we want to see. So 
Uh, in that first year, however, where we had the plus biology, um, the plants grew, we had a 50% increase in yield. Um, in the second year, uh, just putting the compost and the compost teas on the surface, the root systems got down about uh, three inches. Um, we will be seeing how much further those root systems got in the soil. Um, for In this growing season, we'll be looking at that as well. So uh, as the root systems go deeper and deeper and deeper, as uh, we get more nutrient cycling around the root systems of the plants going deeper, we our expectation is we're going to continue to see um, ever-increasing amounts of yield uh, because those plants are going to get healthier and healthier. Where's the maximum? How much increase in um, production uh, can we get to? How much improvement in nutrient concentration in the food that we eat uh, is going to be possible. So those are you know some of the things we've been seeing in the last couple of years. Um, and then in the area where we um, right from the beginning tilled the biology into the soil and yes I know tillage is horrible but when you've got a compaction layer at an inch or two, an inch and a half, and you've got another one just below and another one below that and another one below that, how do you break up that compaction if the microorganisms can't move in very rapidly from the surface? So you're going to go ahead and till one last time. Um, so we put compost on the surface of the soil and we went ahead and tilled it into the soil. Um, so that we could get it down as deep as possible. Another approach that we're using is um, using like key line plows or deep rippers. And on the back sides of those tines, of the stanchions going down into the soil, we run PVC pipes where we will be spraying out compost extract into the soil on the back side of those rippers. So inoculating all of that soil where the uh, compaction is being broken up where we're getting cracks and crevices formed in the soil and allowing all that, com that good biology to move into the soil. And when we do that, um, we're seeing increases in yields that are far greater than what we were seeing where we were just putting the biology on the soil's surface. Um, this last year, one of the things we were doing with starts uh, is looking at um, potting mixes that were prepared using chemical commercial uh, potting mix that had toxics we were supposed to put on um, you know inorganic fertilizers you know just following the whole regime of the chemical world uh, versus where we um, put in uh, just the biology into the potting mixes so we were comparing those two results and every time the um, plants, the seeds put into the plus biology treatment um, germinated and started to grow at least half the time it took for the seeds in the chemical system or no added biology to germinate and start to grow. So you're going to get a full you know, uh, week more of growth uh, where you're using the proper biology in the soil that you're planting into. And of course, that carries through the whole life of that plant. Um, you know, uh, when we're, we have pictures 
that we will, when I get back to the farm and have the chance to really sit down with all of the data, um, we will be putting together the report uh, on that particular experiment and showing that um, you germinate in the plus biology, the seed germinates in half the time. And of course, then your full, first full leaf is going to be growing on that plant, you know, a full week or 10 days sooner than in the um, chemical plants or in the no biology plants. Um, we're getting, you know, the height of those plants is double or triple the height of the seedlings coming out in from the soils where there was no decent nutrient cycling going on. Here's what the biology is doing to you. It's very important. Um, we just, and as as I said, we uh, clear, we're just clear cut in whole new areas. So we're going to be putting in an apple orchard, understory plants. We will have, you know, half of all of the plants we're going to put into the new area will be continued. We will be continue to compare between the no biology, the um, chemical commercial approach, and then the plus biology. We're doing some interesting work. We're going to be um, um, growing um, freshwater um, shrimp in our pond. And so trying to do that by um, growing all the foods that those shrimp would normally be eating in the real world and making certain that we're maintaining that, that um, biological system. So it's predator-prey interactions. Instead of feeding, you know, the pelletized fish meal or, you know, the commercial chemical food that you would normally feed in these uh, aquatic systems. So that's going to be a, a challenge to get that pond into shape and be able to do all of the testing to watch and see how fast are the shrimp growing. Um, what's the effect on the pond uh, in most commercial productions? Uh, that pond water goes terribly anaerobic and it's highly detrimental to the health of the shrimp. So we want to start those kinds of experiments. We have a food forest that we're going to be putting in. Um, so we've got the trail built into the site. Uh, we will be putting in the terraces this, um, this year. Uh, we have light gaps, so it's, this is truly a forest. This is not an orchard. This is, we're not planting orchard trees and calling it a food forest. This is an actual forest, and we're going to be using the light gaps in that forest, making certain that we're putting the right biology around the root systems of all of the um, herbs and the ground cherry, the um, shrubs, the trees. We want to grow a whole set of different things. I have a friend who is going to be bringing me um, tea uh, bush uh, bushes from China. Um, we, uh, yeah, a bunch of different trees and a, a lot of different plants that we want to put in. We'd like to try coffee. We want to grow coffee and see if we can't do that. Booyah, booyah. <laughs> oh, you just made my day. Wanna, we got to talk about that. Serious. I like the idea of planting and finding the plants in the forest and not having a true orchard, but using them in the space and open spaces. I've thought about that a few times and I've got a kind of a forest out behind me. I'm look, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Maybe I'll do some research myself. Yeah. Hey, wait, like, hey, wait uh, about what, the shrimp what guy. Types of, what about the aquatic ecosystem? Of, right, right. <laughs> That's what these Come on, are. guys. This is aquaponic show and we're talking aquaponic systems, aquaculture. Hey, hey, hey. 
I do have to cut in just to, to, to be respectful. Elaine, Elaine's been working all day. And um, so we, we got to cut to one more quick question and give her um, some peace and quiet tonight. It's so kind of her to come on after all of her hard works. Thank you so much, Elaine. Um, Thank you. So one more question. And the shrimp, we can talk about the shrimp, whatever, but just uh, we got to get off the, off the air with her. So. Sure. I, I, had one, I had one last question in regards to soil. Was, is there um, any uh, soil amendments or anything like that that you'd recommend uh, for people or, or um, ones you recommend avoiding altogether? Or, you know, uh, there's so much information on that. Um. Yeah, I'd, I would want to have people test and make sure that the, any amendment that they're putting into their soil isn't killing the biology in their soil. And it's so easy to answer that question. You know, you take some of your soil, um, you look at the biology that's there, add the amendment in the appropriate concentration, and in two or three days, you look at your biology in that material again. And, you know, it's like, yeah, everything's growing. The fungi are growing better. The bacteria are growing better. The protozoan nematodes is, wow, we're going to be growing great stuff because the nutrient cycling's going. Or you come back to that soil after two or three, four days, and you look at it through the microscope, and you say, you go, oh, my gosh, the what's happened to the protozoa? All of the nematodes are dead. They're, they've been completely wiped out. The fungi are completely gone. And the bacteria are just taking over everything. It's it kind of smells bad. Well, this is not going to help grow your plant. Great. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, do you want to mention your websites again, too? I have the Soil Food Web website on there, and then you talked about a couple of other references on, on where you're posting your work. Do you want to uh, go over that again for people so they can find out more about what you do? Yep, so my personal website is soilfoodweb.com. But for the research farm, the website for that um, and for the um, training program that we're doing for soil life consultants is environmentcelebration.com. So go have a take a take a look at both of those. And um, on my my uh, both both of those websites, we have a lot of reference material, a lot of the papers that have been written about compost and what real compost is. Compost is all about life. It's not about, you know, the, the uh, manure and, and straw. It's You can't make good compost with manure and straw and some of the conditions that have to be met. Um, so lots and lots of research papers on compost extract, compost teas. I do try to point out that Probably 50% of the papers in the scientific literature about compost uh, are uh, just 100% wrong. They're incorrect. They're not paying attention to what compost really is. They go out and they buy some municipal um, organic matter that's been sitting around in a pile for a couple of years, and they use that to, to um, put on their plants or use as potting mix, and all the plants die. And so the paper says, we've proven that compost is uh, really dangerous. It's going to kill your plant. Well, they never asked what compost is. They never established that what they bought from the municipal composting operation was actually compost. Uh, they never looked a, took any assessment of the biology in that compost. They might have done a plate count, which tells you about human pathogens. but. We should never have human pathogens in a properly made compost pile. 
You know, so you've got to actually test the compost and make sure that it is compost. If you're going to be working with a compost extract, to make certain that you're using compost. It's, uh, you know, it's a, I always have to laugh about a researcher at Washington State University who'd heard one of my talks and was just really ticked off at listening to like, I didn't know what I was talking about or something. So she goes home and she grabs a couple handfuls of manure and throws it into a five gallon bucket and fills it up with water and swishes it around for five minutes in this direction and then reverses and goes five minutes in the other direction. And yes, that is aerating things. That is, you know, getting some oxygen back in there, but she only did it for an hour. It's, you know, the kind of the uh, biodynamic approach. And then of course she left this bucket of manure water that she was now calling compost tea without any compost in it. There was no compost in that bucket. She leaves it overnight in her kitchen. I can't imagine what her kitchen smelled like the next morning with a bucket of manure water hanging out in there. And she takes that bucket out, she fills up her sprayer and she sprays her cherry tree with that um, manure water and she killed her cherry tree. And so she writes a column for the local garden store and the what she writes is, I have proven that compost tea will kill your plants. And just, ah, geez. And she calls herself a scientist? My gosh. Um, it's just incredible, the, the, the literature you can sometimes come up with uh, in the scientific world is just unbelievable. So when you run across papers that are just that equally as ridiculous, um, send them to me and I'll put them up on our website as, see, even scientists can be unscientific. Um, so we have a lot of references that people can use to um, show that compost, compost tea, compost extract are perfectly capable of um, preventing diseases and preventing uh, diseases and pests from attacking the plant, get rid of weeds, all of all the things I've mentioned so far. Maybe um, quickly plug your the soil life consult consultant thing because I think there's definitely an audience um, here that would be interested in that. Yeah, so we have a um, certification program that we um, have. So we ask that people first take the, all of the online courses and you learn the theory, you learn the practical approaches to making compost and compost teas, compost extracts, uh, using the microscope so you can now start um, doing samples for on all of your land. You could maybe even start doing samples for your neighbors and uh, you know make a little money at um, helping other people uh, understand what's going on in their soils and how to improve their soil with the proper biology. We then want um, in the for certification we want you to actually make good compost. We want you to make really good um, compost extracts, compost teas, apply them, document that you know what you're doing, and then we ask that you do a um, uh, a project where you have to take dirt and you first of all have to prove that it's dirt and that's based on what the biology is. Um, just bacteria, just anaerobic organisms, nobody good home. And you've got to add the biology to that dirt and convert that dirt into soil. And so your success story goes up on our websites. And um, we start making certain that you are going to uh, get clients because we want all of our 
um, cert certified students to be successful and spread this knowledge and help everybody else reach this goal of getting off the toxic chemicals, keeping the money that growers are um, working so hard to uh, sell their crops and get the money that they need to stay alive. And that money should stay in the growers' pockets, not be given to companies that promote things like genetically engineered organisms or toxic chemicals or pesticides or inorganic fertilizers that are killing us destroying water quality, not making quality food for us to eat. So I thank you for letting me have the time to pl plug our program. So looking forward to interacting and talking with everybody further. Very interesting. Awesome. Fun too. Thank, thank you so much. And if you're, if you're there tomorrow, I'll see you tomorrow in person. And uh, uh, if not, uh, you're, I'd love to have you on the show again. I know you're a little time constrained, but thank you so much for taking an hour to spend with us. And we'd love to have you on again. We're, I'm ecstatic about the, uh, you coming on the show today. Thank you so much again. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks a lot. Awesome. All right, Steve. Hey, thanks so much. I'll see you tomorrow night. And uh, Josh, great, great to keep it dialed down. Yeah, we got to get Elaine some dinner and get her to bed. <laughs> She's cooked. And Elaine, okay. great job, man. That was beautiful. You, you spat it all out. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to talk to everybody. Thank see you. you right, good night, all. Ciao. Awesome. Hey, th thanks, guys. Uh, I'm gonna hop off too, but. Uh, Sorry to be so quick and brief. It, she really has been working really hard with. We had 25 students today, including myself. Um, so she's been working really hard since about 8.30 this morning. And, um, yeah. So I'm going to hop off, too. I've been also doing it. So thanks thanks to guys, again, guys, for, for the platform. And uh, I know she's going to really appreciate it. So, yep. And, Josh, do you want to plug the, uh, the show starts tomorrow? Sure. Yeah. Hopefully, I don't cut out this time again. I'm my battery's plugged in. What am? Jeez, it's happened like two or three weeks in a row. Um, yeah. So we're starting tomorrow morning um, uh, at nine a.m. and we're doing uh, the regenerative, uh, the science of organic regenerative cannabis conference in Humboldt, um, in Redway, um, California, and um, it's a three-day event and. Um, we're starting with Layton, who was just on, and he's going to walk us through it. We kind of like have it staged out where we're walking through, you know, the beginning of microbes and how they affect the, us. And then we get into mycology with Efren, who was on uh, last week. Um, and then uh, also Chip, who we're, we're going to dinner with tonight, um, Osborne, and he does some really interesting work. And then we just kind of work through the succession of how all this works together. And we have, Chip, you know. Chip is the KNF guy, right? No, Chip is the um, the guy who does uh, all the soil food web uh, oh, yeah. on uh, large scale, like uh, big parks for that where children are present, and they don't want uh, toxic chemicals um, sprayed. So they they want to do organics, but they also want it perfect all the time. So uh, he has to be spot on, and and so you know you get a guy talking like that uh, to us. That's the same thing we need. We need to be spot on all the time and safe. You know so. Um, and then again, Suzanne Wainwright, who's an entomologist, and she's really um, pushing, pushing it and um, challenging uh, a lot of stuff and making it cheaper for us to buy beneficials. 
Um, and then Chris Trump, who is the um, KNF guy, and um, he might be interested to come on. We'll talk to him uh, when I'm when we meet him. I've never met him, and uh, but I'm really excited on that that because he does. I think it's like 800 acres of uh, nuts in Hawaii, uh, KNF. Um, and that's that's a you know serious deal, serious investment, and you know. It's pretty exciting for me to be a part of this stuff, you guys, to be honest. Like, uh, well, we, there's a guy who's here for the class who runs um, cattle on, yeah, they have 800 acres they own and like 64,000 acres of uh, government land they run their cattle on in Idaho, 64,000 acres. And they're, they're trying to convert it to all uh, soil food webs that are, they're, they're injecting and putting compost tea, compost extracts. Um, and stuff and it's it it's crazy man I'm, I'm i'm sorry long day but it's been really interesting stuff and um the conference goes on and it's going to be a lot more this the same so if you guys are around the around the area please come you know awesome thanks again yeah, thanks guys. have a good night cool and uh take it there all right. Um, cool. So that was a really, really awesome talk. And uh, hopefully we can get her on again too, uh, uh, sometime for another another talk. That was really, really cool. Did you start early tonight? Yeah, I sent, sent an email out. Well, I didn't get it. Okay. I went, okay. I, I was checking for a response. And the last thing I saw was Marty. So when I came up, my wife had emergency extractions today. So I was trying to make her some food when the show was starting. Dadgummit, I missed the beginning of the show. Can't wait to Sorry. watch it. Hey, Steve, uh, can you hear yeah. me? Yep. Steve, uh, I just want to plug Chip. Uh, I think sure. you need him on this program as well. Uh, it's Chip Osborne at Osborne Organics. He sure. does the chemistry side. He does exchange cool. sites, cations, anions, how different chemicals work together to steal electrons, bind stuff up, release stuff. So uh, I'll I'll talk to him at dinner tonight about you know getting getting in touch with you. You'll meet him tomorrow again. Um, but I think he's he's the other key piece to this. You got the biology, you got the chemistry, you got the soil structure. Uh, it's the complete package. So uh, let's let's talk tomorrow uh, tomorrow when you get up here. All right. Awesome, awesome. I feel like we learned about all kinds of new rabbit holes today. Oh, dude, there's these are rabbit holes that go. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right, brother. I gotta go. Do I gotta wanna, go take these guys out to dinner. Uh, so. Do you want to plug uh, plug what you do? Oh, you know, uh, I'm a very humble guy. I, I'm just lucky to be a part of uh, you know all of these people. Um, we're all out here sharing love so that all you guys can get connected to the right approaches to things. Um, so you know, I do Kingdom Aquaponics. Uh, Did we lose him? Sounds like it. I always have to wonder whether we lost him or we lost, we froze up. Never know. <laughs> so I move around we, real quick. You know? We heard him at Kingdom Aquaponics and then he cut out. All right. Well, I, I don't know. Did I get shut off? I did. Yeah. Yep, so I'm, I'm about, uh, I'm about like, yeah, I'm about getting you guys inoculums to get you going and teaching you how to do it on your own. 
I have the worst business model in the world. Uh, it's about, you know, teaching you how to do what I do and then not making you a client. <laughs> Kudos. Join the club. <laughs> All right, guys. I, uh, Josh is busting my phone up. Elaine needs to go to dinner. So I'll, I'll catch up with you guys soon. And, yeah, I'll try to join some more podcasts. But when I'm out on the East Coast, you know, I'm usually asleep by now because I get up early. So bear with me. <laughs> All, all right. right. Good night, guys. God Good bless you all. All right. Godspeed. Yep. Good night, Thanks brother. Us. All right. Bye. Cheers. All righty. He's got two videos up here. Yeah. What, um, what have you been up to, uh, Roger? Oh, well, just take, taking care of Mama. Um, just doing it. We're doing some upgrades on the forum. We've got a lot of new genetics that, uh, that we procured and, um, and we started selling some mix packs. So I've basically been doing marketing, helping out, and going to um, the discourse forum, which is the uh, forum for the uh, software we use for our websites, and um, trying to learn to code again. I gave it up five years ago when I got when I went blind, but I need. I've got so much work to do that me and another, the one of the administrators in the office in Amsterdam and I are working on upgrading the forum, making it look better, adding some more user friendly things, and. Oh, we're always trying to figure out a way to spread the word, you know, along the social. Other than that, trying to catch up with around here, waiting for the uh, cold, the last frost to come. Hopefully, it's you know, it'll be pretty soon because I'm gonna try. I want to try to get the greenhouse going again this year after a couple of years being dormant, and I got to go cut down all them blackberries to make some, uh, to make some uh, concentrate via. Uh, Marty and uh, brain grows, you know, kind of ideas. And I can't wait to do that. I just, it's just so much stuff and so many different things. It's hard to get to anything sometimes, you know, like I got, a, I got two no dig grow beds out there that are just growing over with grass and weeds right now because I hadn't had time to attend to them either. But now that we've had somebody talking about those, I, I'm sorry, that is an aquaponics show originally, but we've kind of expanded that. But talking about the, the soils and the no dig grow beds and all, I found that very interesting because I've already been experimenting for two or three years on that. And I've got, like you said, there's all kind of like rabbit holes or wormholes or, you know, little crevices to creep in and make it better. So I'm real excited about learn what I've learned, especially last week. Now, I heard some really great information at the end, but last week I really enjoyed doc, uh, Dr. Efren because uh, uh, that was awesome that, you know, because all that mycorrhizae fungi and like how to find it, like, you know, brain growing. I had the same idea. Where do you find it? You know, <laughs> as far as the soil food web and the mic, the actual information on the mycorrhizal relationship with the plants, that is hands down the best guest that we've had to speak on the subject, in my opinion. You mean last week? Yeah. Yeah. Last week. His, yeah, I his thought that was awesome, too. And and both of him and Elaine, I love their, like, Elaine was funny, too. She was like, I could see taking her. You won't sleep in her class. And I wouldn't sleep in Dr. Efren's class either. I was amazed at just the way the information flowed and, you know, and how funny he was when we asked him questions about stuff he wasn't necessarily going to talk about. <laughs> I love when we do that to them, <laughs> our guests. You know, we learn so much more that way because they're open to do it. So I yield. That's all I'm doing. I'm just, you know, beating my head against the wall around here and trying to keep up. And mama's home and she's been feeling real bad the last week or so. So even though we're, you know, not doing too well together, I still kind of care for her, 
you know, so I'm kind of being a nursemaid uh, neighbor, good neighbor right now. Cool. Um, what about you, Fish Gunge guy? You haven't uh, had a chance to get caught up with you in a little while. Uh, hold on one second. I just moved my mic. Okay, sorry, on the headset. Um, yeah, not too much else is uh, going on at the moment besides the usual um, growing in soil, painfully slow. Uh, see, I am getting close to harvest. I uh, just did a week of winter frost from New Millennium to get the plants all into senescence at the same time. And uh, I'm about to start flush tomorrow. Um, battle with the root aphids and the, uh, the vegetative tents. Uh, it's going my way, but since I'm using more natural inputs than anything, it's one that it's going to be like a long battle to completely wipe them out. Um, but it is what it is. That, Have you uh, tried nematodes? Oh, yeah. No, they still somehow power the spruce. So what I'm doing is... Um, I talked to Dinesh Optic Foliar he, about my problem, and he said that uh, ATAC at a, a 2 ml per gallon in the root dunk, or just uh, drench my plants um, with my next feeding, he said that'll wipe most of them out, but also get the nematodes too. So I went ahead and did that tonight because I have nematodes already on the order. I've got 50 million coming on Monday next week. So I'm going to start a new tea brew um, with another metarhizium. Uh, Fungal pack, basically it's the fungus pack from Ketolife. Um, I guess and they said there is metarhizium in it, even though it's not one of the listed uh, fungi. Um, but it's in there, so I'm going to brew that up, dose it with nematodes and everything uh, next week. And hopefully that should be the end of it. If it's not, I'm just going to burn the whole motherfucker down because I'm done. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, so shout out to Optic Fuller. Dinesh was on the show, was a great guest last year, and, and I'm glad to hear you bring him up. I mean, personally, because I've been need to make, reminds me somebody else I need to get a hold of, something else I need to do is give him good. a shout. But yeah, that was. Yeah, he's a good guy. We'll get Optic Dinesh. Fuller. We'll get yeah, Dinesh Optic on again. Yeah, great product, too, from what I had. I haven't got to use it. That's one of the reasons I need to get a hold of him. Yeah, if you're doing foliar sprays, you really do want to use their product transport. It makes a night and day difference. I'm not a big fan of foliar feeding, but if you do want to do that, it's it's a it's the product to use to actually make it happen. Um, it's the only product when I worked at Aquaponic Source, uh, the only one that actually showed any kind of difference in, in nutrient tissue value. It's also the only product that we know of that can be sprayed on when the lights are on. No, no, you can spray. You always should spray. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. So you should always spray with the lights on. Oh, always. I thought we had a big talk that night about you shouldn't well, no, spray no, no, when no. the uh, okay. Roger, just no, 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 no. That, it's um, with oily products. You don't want to oh. spray with the lights on because you'll burn your plants. But if you use right, right, yeah, it'll be gone within 20 minutes. So it'll be no, gone. no. But you no. want to try and <laughs> Steve uh, says no. <laughs> so for for insecticides. Insecticides, you, want to, you don't want to spray with the lights on or right at the end. But if you're trying to feed the plant with a foliar, we're getting an echo from someone. I'll cut mine off. Maybe it's me. Um, so if you're trying to foliar feed, you actually want to do it an hour after the lights come on because that's when the stomata, which is the primary means that you're trying to get that into the leaf, are in the largest diameter. Um, but for if you use transport, it doesn't matter because you're putting it through uh, the cell wall directly and not having to rely on the stomata. 
Correct. I'm just saying that normally without transport, you don't want to use any oily products like neem or like you're saying, a lot of the yeah. pesticides. Whereas most things like kelp or, you know, a lot of the things that we normally foliar our plants aren't going to be super oily and cause them to get sunburned. So those you can normally do with the lights on, which like you're saying is when the stomata are open. Um, the only thing from optic foliar um, that I can say you want to do with the lights off, and this is coming from Dinesh and personal experience, is the switch. Optic foliar switch, you have to use it with transport, but he highly recommends doing that one, lights off. Other everything else, lights on. Um, but yeah, the other thing that's good, Roger, like I was going to say a little earlier with transport, is it lets you use a lot of those pesticides like um, Azimax or any of those others at like quarter to half strength so you can make it go a lot farther for your dollar because it's getting it into the tissue of the plant systemically, so that way um, you can actually save a lot of cash and get the same effect. So transport, is that similar to, now, so I know we talked about this a long time, but since we're on it, we might as well, uh, is that, I can't remember, uh, was that something I thought that night, was that possibly like a wedding agent? or And is it, when you're saying it's just... just it's not so much like a wedding agent as it's um, something that actually opens up the mesophilic layer of the plant and del right. delivery agent. It delivers the stuff directly into the plant tissue or the leaf tissue, I should say. So for like that 20 minutes, it opens up the mesophilic layer and lets things transport in. Whereas a sticker spreader, it'll just wrap it around the leaf to the underside where the stomata are. But this, you can just spray directly on the top of the leaf and get the same effect. It's getting into the plant. Yeah, see, that's another thing. Most of the time on a lot of these products, you don't want to spray, spray the top. You want to spray the bottom, don't you? Or just the leaves. You don't want to spray the bud. We know that. But again, not being a fan of foliar, I've never studied much on it. But Dinesh sold me on the idea that it might be interesting to try, you know, with the products, especially with the whole panel, like in the product. I, you have I to kind of trust it. Because otherwise you're just feeding your plants one way when you can feed them two ways. And I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And sorry, the echo, I figured out what... The echo was because I had to turn up to hear fish. And so I had my speakers on too loud. Well, that's nice that you want to blame me, but you could just own up to it, man. I mean, you know, let's go. <laughs> what, um, where did Marty go? I was just about to ask Marty. Um, all right, well, I'm not sure where Marty went. Uh, we'll get Marty on uh, if he comes back. What have you been up to, Brain Grow? Uh, right now, I'm actually trimming up a plant I harvested about a week ago, uh, early Durban. And <clears throat> in the grow, I'm actually coming to a realization that it's no fun to grow all these re-veg plants because they're growing slow as shit. So what I'm probably fixing to do is uh, I was planning on getting it done today, but I had a lot of stuff to do. I was actually working on my chicken coop a little bit today, so I didn't quite get around to it. But I'm going to get all these uh, original skunk number one re-veg plants that I have and stick them all in one grow bed and just go ahead and flower them out where they are right now. And then I'm going to go ahead and pop some more seeds for the uh, the purple haze, the super silver haze, and the gold leaf and get those going as soon as possible. Uh, let's see what else. Other than that, uh, not much else. You know, just doing the normal routine in the garden feeding the fish and checking pH and making sure my nitrates and stuff are good. 
That's awesome. You're starting the ILGM pack, huh? Yeah, yeah, fixing to be starting Thank those pretty you. soon. Yeah, I got my juicy pack in the other day. It's had Agent Orange, Orange Bud, and um, Super Silver, no, Super Lemon Haze in it. So that should be fun. And then I got a cherry pie, and I couldn't pass it up, even though there's so many other strains I wanted. I, I had to get the Maui Wowie. They, they're just out. We, we procured Maui Wowie just a while back, and I heard people talking about it. So just for some giggles, I had to go get it and see what it came, what how it comes out. Right on. Another uh, thing that I was kind of messing around with the other day was my mealworms. And uh, I, had, I don't really spend a whole lot of time around them. I'll give them a water source, like maybe every couple of weeks to once a month. You know, I'm not real tentative to my mealworm farm. And when I checked up on them, they were the biggest I've ever seen them. They were massive, like two inches long, like super fat, juicy little things. So I'm getting ready to probably feed some of those to my fish. I'm sure they're going to have a blast. Awesome. Um, what about you, uh, Mr. Green Jeans? What have you been up to? But uh, yeah, I've been running the the press. Boy, the press is amazing. The rosin press, <laughs> unbelievable, and makes incredible medicine. And uh, you know, and I've been <laughs> eating pieces of it, and you know, trying to figure out how to smoke it. I can't smoke it at all. I have to get a rig. I have to get a special rig, like you said, Steve. I or, and Brain was telling me too. I, it's impossible to smoke. It makes amazing medicine right away. You just mix it with oil, you know, and or <laughs> or eat it straight. It's incredible, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it takes a lot of skill. You know, you've got to you've got to practice. You've got to work uh, work with it and everything like that. And I've only done like seven or eight presses, and I'm just barely beginning to get the hang of it now i'm getting the lower temperature ones you know down 180 degrees and getting a really nice thick looking pasty results you know it's i think it's really squeezing a lot of the a lot of the stuff out it was really interesting squeezing the g13 i don't know if you guys remember i was talking about the um and i was and that was the ones where i got the 11 seeds from the, i mean 11 plants from 10 seeds and uh I was bitching about they didn't have much terpenes, you know, they were, some of them were even really amazingly resiny looking and they look beautifully dusted and everything, but they don't have very distinctive smells, you know, they don't, they're not really strong in the smells department. And it was really interesting because once I pressed a whole bunch of them all together and got to smell the, the, the rosin, result i smelled some things that i couldn't really detect there in the original and it took me a while to put my finger on it but uh, a couple of other people have, have agreed that the smell of that rosin is kind of like raw bread dough with a little bit of yeast in it <laughs> if you can imagine that it's a really unusual and odd smell very but really mild actually which is really maybe nice and actually and again, that's so the taste of the rosin, the taste of the raw rosin from this G13, which I was bitching about saying, oh man, this, you know, these genetics, they don't have no, no terpenes, there's no smells in there. But when you eat the raw rosin, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't attack your mouth that bad. It's pretty, uh, it's almost uh, a smoother rosin to eat in raw condition. 
because none, none of the rosin is all that smooth to eat in raw condition, actually. It's kind of a little bit rough on the taste buds. You taste everything all boom, and then, of course, it sticks to your teeth, and, you know, and 20 minutes later, you have this giant head blast, you know, so it's, it's a pain in the ass to eat. And I'm not recommending that unless you mix it with oil. Oh, and Brain suggested mixing it with the uh, honey was fantastic. But the problem with that is that you want to eat a lot of it. So it's really easy to overdose. You know, you're already making it a little bit strong to begin with. But here's one of those, one of the regenerated, one of the, oh, this was an AMS. I like that. I had three of those AMSs. They were nice. He's, he's a little easy. Mr. Green G, ah. we used to partner with those. We AMS was uh, one of our approved uh, bank, seed bank. Yeah, I think it stood for, stands for the the uh, the airport that I thought they told her. Oh, Maybe I didn't get I was doing the wrong thing. I was thinking Amsterdam seed. Amsterdam airport. Um, it was the name of the strain, I think. It was they called oh, AMS. Oh, oh, I see that. Yeah. yeah, and it was from I think it's from greenhouse. I, I, I thought it was from Greenhouse. I thought that's where she went. But it was one of the ones they, they gave her, gave me for free. And as they're beautiful, you know, it's it's nice and incredibly resiny. I think very, really, really high THC. Uh, beautiful, nice structure, pretty good, big yield, you know, good, good plants. Overall, really good plants. But all of them, all they all suffered, I would say, compared to maybe it's just, you know, maybe I've just got a collection of plants with ridiculous terpenes. But I feel like here in California, we have a lot more um, smelly plants. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sounds sounds silly or simplified. But and no, and I have this theory that they that over there, they, they always they, they smoke gassy diesel genetics. <laughs> yeah, they smoke everything over there with tobacco too, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if they, I don't know if you can, you know, maybe they're not appreciating the full uh, flavors that we are over here, you know, maybe over over here it's more common for us to smoke straight flour, you know, no one, and no one mixes it with tobacco, so I don't know, maybe it affects those breeders over there, you know, smoking too much tobacco. Because it, it stands to reason that G13 would be perfect for mixing with tobacco. You know, it, it doesn't have much flavor. It's actually probably potent, has a lot of THC. So, I don't know. <laughs> and the fact that it the rosin actually tastes pretty good raw, which is, which is unusual, too. It has almost, smell, almost smells like, like, like bread, <laughs> like raw bread dough, which is real interesting. So, yep. Got to learn how to smoke that stuff, though. I don't know. I don't know what the heck you do with it. You know, it's, it's, it's incredibly sticky. I tried it in my packs. That kind of works on a really high setting. I put it on the highest setting and uh, you get tremendous hits with it. But the thing is, it's only smoking part of it and a lot of it's staying behind. And the stuff that stays behind makes wonderful hand lotion. <laughs> so, Pro tips out there for anyone with packs and trying to figure out how to smoke rosin. <laughs> smoke it down to the last. But Brain was suggesting that actually I'm probably leaving behind some really good THC, which stands to reason. I I, I feel like the early uh, hits that you get are very broad, like you're getting a lot of terpenes to start with, like you're getting, you know, all of the exotic effects of the cannabis first and not so much 
heavy THC hit. And then as you keep as you keep hitting on the packs, eventually it gets around to the I think the rosin really resists burning. <laughs> really resists smoking. You've you've got to get the super high heat, the rig, the dabbing rig like Steve was showing me. I think it's pretty much either the only way. I've heard about the little the little uh uh, vaporizers or uh, what do you call them atomizers like the Sai, the Sayonara with the little ceramic donuts stuff like that I don't know if anybody's had any experience with that Steve you ever seen one of those I got a pen yeah. I was telling you about go ahead yeah Steve. No, the those, little, those yeah. little ceramic pins you know it was interesting yeah. they have little ceramic tops that work all right um you know it was really interesting I made a batch of bubble the other day and I went to press it and I got like no oil out of it like none like just a tiny like enough for maybe one dab and i thought that was super bizarre and then what i ended up with this really thick pressed hash puck and so i ended up just taking that cutting the bag off and i smoked a piece of it just on top of my weed like it's someone's feedback but i smoked a little bit of that on my um on my weed and uh, it was just the stoniest high. It was just like smoking some old school hash. It was really good. It was different, but no oil in it. I couldn't believe that it. You know, it was three days dried. You know, it should should have been totally juicy and just nothing. I don't, I'm still kind of baffled on that. But I also don't know how old the trim was or anything. It was it was just some trim a friend of mine gave me. He had laying around. So it's amazing the different uh, the different genetics too. Now that I I was sticking to the one I had the you know the one big jar with a couple of ounces when i was trying to learn and it was all the same and uh, now and then i you know tried a few presses of a couple of different things and it was like wow <laughs> completely different you know <laughs> this one thing i i didn't expect so much came out of it you know and i i don't you don't i i guess <laughs> you know in retrospect but wow <laughs> You know, it wasn't the plant that I would have suggested. I, if you'd asked me, does it have a high THC content? I think I would have guessed not, you know, that it was low. But but uh, the, the rosin presses out of it seems to be, and I don't know what the THC content of that rosin is, but it looks, it, it pressed a whole ton and it looks fantastic and smells and tastes great. So, you know. Awesome. Well, that wad of, of resin you showed us last week, that was pretty impressive for your first time on your homemade rig. That was a big ring of resin compared to what I've seen with a lot of other folks, you know, what they're putting in there. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I probably put a lot that, you know, trying to figure out how much to put in to start with is, is definitely the big thing. And I don't even yeah. have any bags yet. And the bags are really good, not just... You actually don't really even need the filtration that much. It's it's pressing out, and the way I'm using it now, the parchment paper, it's pressing out, and it's easy to collect. But the the thing is that I think the bags help to contain if you want to use a large amount, like maybe over seven or eight or nine, ten grams on a three by five plate. Then maybe the bags actually act more almost as a containment kind of thing so it prevents it from squishing out anymore and it holds the puck to that size right whereas now if i put that much in it's going to squish all the way out to the edges of the plate at a certain point a certain amount it's just going to squish right out to the edge of the plate if it, there's no bags, bag bags help a lot with just separating the plant material you get much cleaner material i use bags pretty much everything 
That as well. But but I'm saying that doesn't seem to be a problem unless you maybe press twice or fold over the puck or something, which is a cool, you know, you can get a little more out of it. Seems like the plant material, there isn't, you know, the oil just squeezes right to the outside edge and there isn't really any in it so far. I mean, I don't know. Maybe with other buds, completely good. That's pretty much that's pretty much how I've uh, been doing it too. Green jeans. I haven't had much plant material in mine unless I've grinded it beforehand. Ah, throw, yeah, it in, throw it in. Nope. A, yeah, don't grind it. Throw throw it in a um, coconut oil or pucks, and then cook them down. And you'll get a shit ton of good uh, CBN. Yeah. So, but, I made um, some with uh, with the isopropyl that made uh, 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 topical, and I didn't realize that uh, the, the all of these were made with my White Wizard, which is basically re remix White Widow, and uh, I I kind of had a suspicion that it it had a strong sort of a pain killing effect, and we found out when you made it into the topical man, and you rub it on your hand, you know, on your skin. <laughs> That's when you can really tell. I mean, I, you know, I got it also from eating a piece and I got the entire head my head, head numbed like as if I'd eaten Novocaine or something like that. But the uh, topical is like, wow, you know, you can totally awesome. feel it. So it's definitely, I mean, sorry, yeah. Let's switch to a uh, Hogmaster here. It looks like he's got some. He's showing us some oil. Just finished it with a bunch of uh, pucks and used a bunch of resin or the rosin pucks from the Keith that I did. Awesome. Those actually cook really, really well. The pre-made bags of Keith. Awesome. Cool. You got your uh, you camera still on. Oh. You can hold it up to the sunshine and not even. <laughs> cool. By the way, uh, while we had a little quick space there, Marty did put in the in the chat that he would be right back a while ago. Yeah, that was that was a little earlier. Yeah, yeah, but it was right before he left, so I didn't know, and I didn't know if uh, you know when Hogmaster's done. We ought to we got anybody in chat tonight. I was fixing to say, speaking of chat, who do we got live tonight? <laughs> got a whole ton of people earlier. Thanks for sharing, Hog. Yeah. Sorry, to, I didn't mean to cut you off with Mr. Green Jeans. I just wanted to, uh, he was holding up the thing you were talking about. So I did, I muted, muted you for a second because it was feeding back. Also, I'm going uh, to take off, guys. Have a good okay. night. It was great hanging out. And Steve, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Hey, Later, fish. Later, fish. Thanks. Alrighty. I uh, I'll um have some hopefully I can't I'll have some big announcements next week. I got uh, some stuff in the works that I can't talk about quite yet, so we'll see if that comes to fruition or if we have to wait longer. And yeah, I'll be at the Science of Regenerative Organic Canvas conference all weekend. If anyone's looking and um, wants to come talk and hang out. And uh, what else we got going on? Do Grows Cup is coming up on the fifteenth. So we'll get on that, and um, yeah, we got some really awesome guests lined up too in the future. So, um, anybody else have anything before we uh, close out? I'm gonna end a little bit early. I'm in uh, uh, Colorado right now on a business trip, so I uh, I gotta uh, get to one other thing later this evening. But um, does anyone else have anything? I think I guess Not we're me. good. Awesome. Oh. 
Alrighty. Well, we'll be sorry for a little bit of early start this week. We had, um, it was just to help facilitate a little more time with Elaine. So we'll be back normal time next week. And um, thank you a lot for everyone joining us. Thanks to all the live viewers. Yeah. Keep on growing. Thanks a lot for Dr. Ingham for coming on the show as well. We've been talking about having her on for a while. Dr. Lane. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care.